Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday, another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a special episode for a couple reasons. But first, I would like to give a shout-out to Jerome, the French wrecking crew who has been promoting Black Box Online Radio on Facebook. Thank you so much. I invite you guys to check out all of his pages from the French wrecking crew. It's really good stuff. He shares um, a lot of true crime episodes if you're just curious about different cases. And he's also promoted the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned Dahan. But I would also give a shout-out to Playtime, who provided me with a copy of the book The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, also known as The Silence Badge by Lyndon Lafferty. Now, there was one jerk in the comments sections who once called me intellectually lazy because I didn't read Lyndon Lafferty's book. Well, times are changing. But this book is one that I've wanted to read since I ever completely first got in to the Zodiac Killer world, because it was Lyndon Lafferty who pulled me into this mystery. Back in 2011, I was listening to a lot of talk radio, and I got hooked on the show The Savage Nation, hosted by Michael Savage, and some guy just called into one episode once named Lyndon Lafferty. They, they weren't even talking about the Zodiac Killer. They were talking about how a doctor was found dead at the bottom of an elevator shaft in a community center, and the police were not investigating it in what the host thought would was an appropriate way. And this guy, Lyndon Lafferty, calls in and says, Oh, yeah, the uh, police in San Francisco have a known history of covering up crimes. One set of murders that was covered up intentionally was the Zodiac Killer. The, the crimes that were committed by the Zodiac Killer in 1968 and 69, it was completely a cover-up, and hence the title of Lyndon Lafferty's book, The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up. And I had learned about the Zodiac as a kid, America's Most Wanted, the History Channel, but I was like, what? What do you mean? And then Lafferty's continuing by saying, the police have known the identity of the Zodiac Killer for decades, they just choose not to arrest him because the Zodiac had a connection to a high-ranking judge who ordered the police not to investigate this person any further. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I had to learn more about it. I, I couldn't just let that stay. So then I, well, turned into the person that I am now. I began investigating more about the Zodiac Killer, which mostly consisted of reading websites like ZodiacKiller.com and getting on YouTube and watching videos, learning all about the suspects. I really started learning about these suspects like Arthur Lee Allen, Richard Gajkowski, Michael O'Hare. Back in 2011, they were featured at the top of ZodiacKiller.com. But I didn't even investigate Lafferty's suspect too much because when I heard that um, episode of The Savage Nation where he appeared, I didn't even get his name. He didn't reveal his name because even though Lafferty said that the case was solved and the, the authorities viewed it as solved, still... It wasn't solved in any terms available to the general public. It seemed like it was very much an open case. So I immediately noticed that about his story. And also, here's a big point about Lyndon Lafferty. In that interview that he did, he was presenting himself as a former member of law enforcement who had insider knowledge of what was going on. And it is true, Lyndon Lafferty was a former member of law enforcement. In his book, The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, carries the, the, the label that he is the only member of law enforcement to have written a book about the case. 
at the time of this publishing. This is actually the 2005 edition that was provided to me by Playtime Hardcovered, nonetheless. Much appreciated. Thank you for this contribution to the show once again. But I was quite surprised when I began learning more about the Zodiac Killer mystery, and I saw that Lyndon Lafferty was not one of the original investigators in the traditional sense. Like, he wasn't a detective who was on the case, he was a highway patrolman who began investigating the case independently, and I'm still a little bit nerved that the man who pulled me into the Zodiac Killer mystery is someone who went on to write a book that I do not appreciate that much. And uh, to be very honest with you guys, I do not like this book so far. This is definitely going to be a multi-part series. So um, this is, think of this episode as part one. But yes, I'm going to be very critical of the book. However, to talk about the future episodes, I do a regular segment on the disappearance of Donna Lass, which comes out on Thursdays, and Lyndon Lafferty has a chapter in the book called Sierra Club Infamy about the disappearance of Donna Lass, so that material will be saved for next Thursday. I always invite you guys to like and subscribe so you can follow along with these true crime discussions, but to give credit where credit is due. Point number one. The absolute best part of the book so far has been completely unrelated to the Zodiac Killer. It's just that Lyndon Lafferty begins some of the chapters, some not all, with these quotations from literature, such as this one from George Edward Bulwer, an English novelist. The surest way of making a dupe is to let your victim suppose that you are his. I mean, those are the those are mentioned frequently throughout the book. There are these little quotations from literature. He also has things from Shakespeare in there. That's what I think is the best part because he's talking about these ideas and is giving you just little quips and sayings that can reveal things about the thought process. Another part of the book that I find absolutely fascinating is Lyndon Lafferty zones in on the psychological aspects of the case, particularly through the work of a Stanford University psychology professor named Dr. Donald T. Lund, L-U-N-D-E, and he shares a lot of observations about that. There are two points, though, in the book that Lafferty um, really, really wants to focus. Number one, he believes the Zodiac Killer was a homosexual, and it's, he says in the early sections, either homosexual or bisexual, but he believes that the Zodiac Killer was gay. And number two, the Zodiac was fueled by an intense hatred of women. The second part, I could perhaps accept. The first one, I wholeheartedly disagree. I actually believe the Zodiac Killer was a heterosexual male, and I um, will talk about that in just a second. But uh, I, as I said, I wanted to uh, give credit where credit is due. Lafferty also created a table that is provided in the book of unconfirmed Zodiac crimes, like talking about the canonical victims and crimes that could be attributed to the Zodiac Killer, and I thought it was very good to do that, just making a list of possible Zodiac victims. And about the hatred of women, Lafferty believes, as he says in the book, that the Zodiac Killer was sexually motivated. That You see these things about how there are sexually motivated predators that have to keep killing frequently because they want to satiate an urge. Most people do not believe that about the Zodiac Killer. They're like, the Zodiac operated in 1969, 
1968, actually, with the first crimes, the Lake Herman Road murders. And the Zodiac was someone who did this for calculating reasons. Cold, methodical, and calculating are the words that come up. But Lafferty believes that the Zodiac killer was sexually motivated, and the thing about the 37 murders is true. Now, I will discuss that later on, but... Um, he also believes that um, because of the work of people like the psychologist Dr. Donald T. Lund, that the Zodiac stopped killing because of a decline in testosterone, which led to impotence in his older years, and that he wouldn't resurface again because he could no longer experience that type of sexual satisfaction after killing a woman, and yes, women were the primary objectives. But... To talk about the critical points of the book, the part that I will challenge the most harshly is the illustrations of penises and butt sex that are involved. It's like, okay, you think the Zodiac Killer is gay? Just in case you don't know what a penis looks like or what butt sex looks like, here's an illustration. And I was just um, going through the book and I was like, what? What? Was that really necessary, Lyndon? But um, anyway, that stuff is in there. <laughs> okay, moving on. But, um, Lyndon Lafferty's suspect is a man named William Joseph Grant. He is referred to in this book as George Russell Tucker. It is a pseudonym that has been attributed to him, because at the time of this publication, this is, um, one of the first editions, actually, so thank you, Playtime. I mean, this is a very good thing to have. Grant was still alive, and he was given the pseudonym George Russell Tucker. His wife is named Leah Tucker in the book. And Leah Tucker was having this relationship with a judge named Dennis Winston. And the story goes like this. George Russell Tucker is traveling a lot for business. He works with Alcoholics Anonymous and the national chapters. And at one point, he even was on the road for six months out of the year. During that time, his wife had an affair with a superior court judge named Dennis Winston. And then that one thing led to another, and eventually she decided to confess to William Joseph Grant because he was going to find out anyway. Everybody knew about it because his wife and Judge Winston were caught in the act by a custodian having sex in the judge's office, and then that person went on to tell numerous people. She's like, my husband's going to find out anyway, so she decided to tell him, and his ego was shattered. And one point, though, that I think is very unclear in Lafferty's theory about how William Joseph Grant decided to um, do this is, he says in the early parts of the book, The Zodiac Killer cover-up, that he wanted to prove to his wife that he could do this, and I was like, okay, I get that you want to rebuild a shattered ego, but prove to your wife? I mean, maybe prove to yourself, but I just don't understand how you would be proving anything to his wife by becoming the Zodiac Killer. But there's some immediate red flags with Lyndon Lafferty's presentation. And the first is, he says that he is the only member of law enforcement to write a book about the case, and then he also goes on to say that I am the only living person who can testify to the true and actual events and circumstances that made the case next to unsolvable. That um, just reeks to me of manipulation tactics, because he, what he's saying is discredit all the ways of the past, 
forget everything that you know. Only I am the person who can tell you the truth. So it's like he's requesting submission to his ideas. That's an immediate red flag that stands out to me. But a bigger red flag that stands out is in his chapter called Zodiac Created, he openly introduces it by saying, in order to protect the innocent and innocent directly and indirectly from other legal considerations, this chapter will contain a certain amount of fiction. While the dots will be connected in a circuitous manner, the truth will hopefully be the end result. Many points of evidence, including the powerful motive responsible for the insane and vengeful killings, are directly related to this series of events. But he is openly saying that parts of his book are fiction. So he's the only person who can tell you the story, but some of the story isn't true. I mean, I, I am not liking the way that he is sharing his ideas. Also, he has said very clearly that he believes the Zodiac Killer is operating because of a hatred of women, and he is a homosexual living a double life, more or less, but then Lafferty goes on to say that, as I said before, that he actually believes in the 37 murders that were committed by the Zodiac Killer and his suspect, George Russell Tucker. So some of the victims, though, that he tries to include are women who were murdered in Santa Rosa, but just as I was looking at the ages of these people that he's talking about, Yvonne Weber, who was 13 when she was murdered, Maureen Starterling, who was 12 when she was murdered, Laura Cursa, Lori Cursa, who was 14 when she was murdered. So, hatred of women, yet he's going after 12-year-old girls. I Perhaps you could make the case that someone has a hatred of, of women and going after a 16-year-old like Betty Lou Jensen, but 12? I also find that to be cons inconsistent and not in line with Lyndon Lafferty's... Um, theory about how there's this um, closeted homosexual guy who had a shattered ego and a hatred of women, feels betrayed by women, so he's going after, well, women as a sexually motivated serial killer, and he's getting off on the killings, but going after a 12-year-old, that doesn't really fall in line to, with me, and I'm sure Lafferty's just saying the entire female gender, but it, that is inconsistent with his statements. Another big point in the book that I did not like is when Lafferty is talking about that number 37, and I'll just read something from page 102 in the Zodiac Killer cover-up. We include these seven because we can place our suspect in the general area during the respective time periods, and the Zodiac even makes a direct inference that he killed Donna Lass in Lake Tahoe, adding the five known Zodiac murders in the bay, including Lake Berryessa, which brings the total to 34. If we had Sherry Jo Bates in Riverside, we would have 35. If we were to add a young couple in Santa Barbara in June 1963, we would have the exact total that the Zodiac claims. There are, however, four more which are worthy of review, however, received little press and notoriety. Okay, then, his number isn't 37. Did you just hear that? There are four more which require review. That means his number is 41, that there would be 41 murders attributed to Grant, George Russell Tucker, William Joseph Grant, Andrew Todd Walker, whatever you want to call this guy. That's the numbers 41. Lyndon Lafferty is openly admitting that he is fudging the facts to make his theory work. And I also am just not impressed with that aspect of the presentation. Because Lyndon Lafferty is not here to defend himself, he has also passed away. 
I could only talk to people who knew him and had their take on his research and so on. So I decided to reach out to Mike Rodelli, author of In the Shadow of Mount Diablo, The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, and um, someone who has been following the case for a very long time. And I asked him if he knew Lyndon Lafferty and was familiar with his stuff, and he said yes. And I told him that I'm reading this book, The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, and looking at Lafferty's investigation, but I was a little bit disappointed with it. And Mike Rodelli responded to me by saying, Yes, the word to describe Lyndon's book is disappointment. In fact, I think that's the word that the people that work closely with him would also use to describe it. They, they were kind of dumbstruck by his lack of documented evidence and the number of silly anecdotes he told. And we will hear more from Mike Rodelli in the future about this because he will compose something larger for the channel. But at this time, let's look at the heart and soul claim of... Lyndon Lafferty's theory that this guy, William Joseph Grant, was the Zodiac Killer. Firstly, you, you heard just now, and you've seen the image from his book, that he adds the Domingo Edwards murders in 1963 to his theory. He also adds in the murder of Sherry Joe Bates in 1966, meaning that this guy, George Russell Tucker, William Joseph Grant, was the Zodiac Killer, but he also committed a series of crimes before 1968. Just He attributed the Zodiac persona to the 68-69 murders, but he's actually a very prolific, sexually motivated serial killer who is killing because of urges. I mean, I seem to think that Laverty is attributing 41 murders to George Russell Tucker, but just to make his theory work, he decided not to investigate four of them in detail because it was difficult. Uh, okay, but no, I, I'm trying not to be too um, harsh on him. Okay, but the real thing that he says is that his wife had an affair with this judge named Dennis Winston, which I'm pretty sure is a pseudonym. As, as Lafferty said, it's even a... Um, that chapter is even containing certain fictitious details. But his wife is having this affair with someone named Dennis Winston. Then, Grant is the Zodiac Killer. He commits his crimes. His wife finds out. So she goes to that judge, Dennis Winston, says, you have to do something. And then he issued an order that this person, Tucker Grant, was not supposed to be investigated now, I did the, my first episode on the Zodiac Killer channel called Zodiac Killer Lyndon Lafferty in 2017. Lyndon Lafferty Theory, excuse me. Zodiac Killer Lyndon Lafferty Theory. That's the first um, Zodiac episode I ever did. Because I was just telling that story about how I became familiar with um, the mystery and how I wanted to investigate Lyndon Lafferty's theory a little bit more. But I fully confess that I was jumping into the situation prematurely. However, I liked that he provided an explanation about why the case was unsolved. Many Zodiac theorists out there simply say that, oh, well, because the Zodiac was too smart for the authorities. Oh, the Zodiac was some guy who couldn't be caught. Oh, the Zodiac just got away with it. But Lyndon Lafferty actually provided an explanation about why the authorities were unable to arrest the Zodiac killer because he had this connection to the high-ranking judge who issued an order that... William Joseph Grant, a.k.a. George Russell Tucker, 
was not to be investigated, and I was contacted just in the comments section by Jamie Hendrickson, longtime listener of Black Box Online Radio, but Jamie is also a lawyer, and Jamie says that you said that it's plausible that a California judge could order police not to investigate a suspect. That is ridiculous on its face. A superior court judge has absolutely no jurisdiction over who police investigate. A judge could deny an arrest warrant or a search warrant for lack of probable cause. However, a judge has no authority over law enforcement regarding who police investigate. Lafferty wasn't a quack if he advanced that theory. More likely, he knew better, but also knew that the general public wouldn't, so he opted to sell books. And then Jamie continues in a different comment, Moreover, if the judge were having an affair with the suspect's wife, the judge would be disqualified from making any rulings on the case. If the judge even knew a witness or a suspect, the canon of judicial conduct would require the judge to rescue himself, recuse himself, excuse me, recuse himself from the case. And as I said, Jamie is a lawyer. I really do appreciate your first-hand um, responses or first-hand account of the law. But I'm sure that Lafferty would simply respond to that by saying, oh, well, nobody knew about the affair except, um, well, no, like, he can't even say that because apparently the affair was widely well known. And, um, yeah, OK. All right, Jamie, I was going to say this um, thing. Well, the, the affair might not have been widely well known. So then it was all done in secret behind closed doors. But no, Lafferty openly says in the book that the custodian caught the judge and the wife in the act, and then he was sharing that info with people. Okay, Jamie, you're right, I'm wrong. But because I've worked on the documentary series Obsession into Darkness and on the Zodiac Killer channel, there was a very large section in that series about Lyndon Lafferty, and I was reading that script that had been created for the documentary, and the way it was presented there in a nutshell version was that the judge ordered a group of researchers to stop harassing William Joseph Grant. So, I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer. Jamie is. You can always weigh in in the comments section. But it was like people were ordered to stop harassing Grant because he wasn't – well, he hadn't been charged with any of the crimes. And at this time, I would like to go to a section in the book – called Personal Profile, and first, um, as I said, Lafferty really um, talks to a lot of psychologists and cites a lot of literature on psychology in this book, and th those are the things that I truly like to discuss. Firstly, it says, in his book, The Psychopathic Mind, J. Reed Malloy discusses an unusual but common trait among serial killers, the reptilian predatory stare, the central focus being the limbic system, the cortex surrounding the stem. On page 70, Malloy states that clinical observations support the hypothesis of a reptilian stare among certain primitive psychopathic characters, which is the absence of perceived emotion in their eyes. It is common to hear descriptions of a cer of certain patient or inmate's eyes as cold, staring, harsh, empty, vacant, absent of feeling. The psychopath's eyes have incited comments like, I was frightened by his eerie... Look, I felt as if he were staring right through me when he looked at me. The hair stood up on my neck. Now, even though I like talking about psychology, though I'm not a professional psychologist, I don't necessarily care for that type of thinking, because I told you guys before that I followed the Stones Unturned podcast, and the host of that program, Thomas Horan, provided something that I thought was a little bit better than just getting a creepy feeling when you're looking into somebody's eyes, and maybe you'll get a creepy feeling if you look into uh, William Joseph Grant's eyes, right? But 
The alternative is, you do not know if someone is telling the truth. You do not know if someone has a calculating motive. You do not know if someone is a psychopath just by looking to them or listening to what they say or the emotions that they are sharing. The only way you can know what's really going on is if you compare their statements to a fact-based narrative of what you already know. Like, you cannot just simply go off of these things. Well, I looked into his eyes, and his eyes seemed blank. Yeah, maybe sometimes that's going to be true, but many times with these psychopathic serial killers, they put on the facade of being the nicest guy in the world. They put on the facade of being just someone who is absolutely gentle and harmless, and then they release their destructive tendencies when they believe that they can get away with it. But as far as being non-destructive, Lyndon Lafferty says here on page 122, personally I can attest to all of the above in my eye-to-eye -eye contact with Mr. George Tucker, a most frightening experience, and this is what Lyndon experienced when he was a highway patrolman and he had eye-to-eye -eye contact with George Russell Tucker and he was very bothered by the way he was looking at him. Okay, but there is another thing that has been shared in the earlier parts of the book when he talks about how George Russell Tucker, a.k.a. William Joseph Grant, was someone who was a very sharp dresser. He would very, wear some things that were almost even outrageous, the way he would match his suits to his shoes. It was really much of a standout, and also to the point where Grant, a.k.a. Tucker, was some guy who was so non-threatening. And Lafferty even goes on to describe him as the kind of person who would lure a woman to his vehicle and she would get in with him when she wouldn't do that with somebody else. Well, what is it? Does this guy have a frightening stare that is just driving chills and pain and fear into the heart of somebody? Or is he someone who is just so non-threatening that a woman is going to go along with him even though he is... um he's a serial killer. Like, what is it? Like, which one is it? But I would like to go to a different section in the book that talks about Sleepy Hollow, because the residents of William Joseph Grant will play into the Zodiac Killer mystery as well. His lonely and mysterious house is nestled in a quiet location from the rest of the world and surrounded by an unusual robe of whispering pines. Remember, the Zodiac Killer would go on to write the peak through the pines letter, the Suisun winds never stop. No stranger's eye can pierce this foreboding veil behind which a monster dwells, composing his tales of murder and woe, and clandestine secret codes. He is a man possessed by the darkest evil who feels no remorse. I think that um, this was written by Dr. Loomis talking about Michael Myers, except Michael Myers never owned a house. His insanity gives him a type of inner power and satisfaction. His failure as a human being has turned him into a sick, tormented animal, a killer who calls himself the Zodiac. I almost laughed when I said the word, his failure as a human being. I guess my shot in Freud kicked in. Sorry about that. A perfect lair for nefarious deeds, even calling up the devil. The terrible remoteness blends with his psychotic mind. Oh yeah, Sherlock, how do you know that? I mean, okay, um, you think that that's what's going on. I get it's just clever wordplay, and he's trying to filled pages in a book with something that makes him seem literary, but he's presenting this as a fact-based narrative that he actually knows who the Zodiac Killer is. This is not a novel. I mean, well, some of it is, but... On those crystal nights with a full moon, he looks upon the shadowy silhouette of Mount Diablo, nor does he have any house or hill obstructing a marvelous view 
of the prominent Bay Area landmark. How fitting, then, is it that the Mount Diablo Bob letter with his code telling us where it is buried was mailed. In a heavy rain, the road in front of the house is always flooded. This was considered another major clue by the Department of Justice. In the early stages of the investigation, as the Zodiac sent a card advising he would have written sooner, but he was flooded out. Um, yes, the Zodiac mailed in something saying that numerous references to Mount Diablo, but also that his bus bomb was... No, he was swamped out by the rain that we had a while back. That's what the Zodiac said. Zodiac's Mount Diablo drawing with his circle and crosshair logo is compelling. The compass reading of zero, if offset to magnetic north, as he said, would point directly to his house. Did he say that? This was his intention, in our opinion, but he never expected anyone to find out where his house was. And because I've looked into this a little bit in the past, I'll, t I'll share with you guys the um, way that I learned about it. Somebody posted a house of the former William Joseph Grant, and they said, this is where William Joseph Grant used to live. And I was like, so? What's your point? And they said, it's now a vineyard. And I was like, so what's your point? And they're like, there are lots of pine trees. And I'm like, so what's your point? And like, from this vineyard, you have a clear, direct shot of Mount Diablo. And I was just like, oh, hey, well, that is something huh, that Mount Diablo is in view of this person's residence at the time. And I'll give him that. I mean, I'm not going to say that that should be dismissed immediately. I will give him that. Perhaps then it would not be unusual, considering his state of dementia, to assume that he painted a hex and black magic symbols, truly believing that they would keep him safe and protect him from the authorities. <sighs> Once again, though, this is a work of mostly nonfiction, where this guy Lyndon Lafferty is trying to convince us that he has found the Zodiac Killer, that he has knowledge of who this person was, and... He's trying to share that story, yet he's making up these things where he is thinking for William Joseph Grant, George Russell Tucker. He's making up the story like, oh, well, this is what this guy must have been thinking. And you can do that if you're an omniscient narrator in a novel, and Lafferty does admit that certain parts of this book are fictitious. Well, okay, I'm just going to cut to some of the heart and soul issues about what I genuinely believe. And I'm not a psychic, I'm not a mind reader, I'm not a clairvoyant, I'm not someone who can talk to the dead like a medium and ask Lyndon Lafferty what was really going on when he decided to write this book. But part of me strongly believes that Lafferty just really wanted to put the book out there because he wanted to share his research process. He wanted to tell the story of what it was like investigating this guy, William Joseph Grant. And in part uh, two or three, I'll get into... Lafferty's correspondences with Les Lundblad, an investigator from Lake Herman Road, who also believed that Grant was the Zodiac Killer. But it is inappropriate for someone to claim that they can recreate the thought process of another human being when they haven't interviewed them, when they haven't asked them, okay, well, um, you were the Zodiac Killer, well, what did this clue mean? Oh, well, that meant that um, I was using these hex symbols because I thought that they would keep me safe, and I had a connection to black magic, and I thought it was all real, and that's why Mount Diablo was incorporated. Maybe if he sat down with the guy and he directly told them those things, then it would be appropriate to put it into the book. But 
Lafferty's work here, the Zodiac Killer cover-up, is just a blending of fact and fiction. And Lafferty did admit that, that, that he was going to do that at times throughout the book. However, I'm, I have to beg you guys, you do not need to buy this book. I know it's very expensive online. It's like $34. It was provided to me by Playtime, and I truly thank um, Playtime for sharing it. However, you do not need to buy this book because I think it's just that. You're probably going to be expecting to get an account of the Zodiac Killer with lots of theories and commentary, but a lot of it is just fiction. Um, so It would be very entertaining as a novel if you just left it that way. But it's half fiction, half fact, and I'm just, I think it's an unnecessary book, to be honest. But I will share with some, something with you guys. I was reading the sections about the disappearance of Donna Lass, and I got so mad. Like, my blood was boiling, my face turned red, red with rage, as you might say. And I'm glad that I had the time to calm down and wait until next Thursday to do the episode. Otherwise, I would have just done some type of outrageous tirade like I did during the Gary Post episodes when I was just not only angry but also laughing off of my chair and so on. I calmed down. But I will talk about his chapter, The Sierra Club Infamy, on Thursday's Donna Lass episode. And there are a couple reasons. Well, I'm going to save that for Thursday. As I said, please like, subscribe, follow along with all of these discussions. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. And you can also follow the show on Facebook. There, my personal Facebook is in the description box. And remember, this is a part one. I'll be talking more about this book in the future. And you can always follow on Instagram at blackboxnet88. And I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.